0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Peacock streaming the biggest live events from Super Bowl 56 Touchdown. to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror mine, mirror nine.
2: You twist and turn my mind until I don't morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. This is the first ever Arsenal Opinion transatlantic pod. We've got Alfred and Matt in New York. Hello, Matt. Hi, Pete. Hello, Alfred.
1: Hello, Pete.
2: And we have me over in London um, uh, working through the magic of IT. Big thanks to Google Hangouts for this one. But um, enough of marvelling at our technical abilities. We have a big... Big podcast to go through today. Arsenal disappointed again at the weekend. There are hundreds of problems going off. It feels like the collapse of our season. The finger rap banners are, 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 are going to be on parade. And if we're not even out of August. Boys, initial reaction to, to what's going
0: on. Well, Pete, uh, I'd love to say it was a surprise, but it wasn't really, was it? Uh, and like you said, we're not even out of August. And this season is officially over. Is that an exaggeration? I don't think so.
1: No. Um, I think my initial reactions was just, I thought we were going to lose with more going into the game. And I thought by preparing myself for that, I wouldn't feel as depressed afterwards, but I could try to take some, some joys out of the game like I did, did the last game. Uh, but I was, again, proven wrong, because I thought it was the last time we, we would see Bellerin on the left... Uh, And the last time we would see Oxlade being shoehorned into the team like like he is, especially after having told Wenger he doesn't want to play for him anymore. But no, we saw the
0: same thing again and and we did it even worse. And one thing's for sure, we are going to have a very interesting few days ahead of us because it's very clear that the strategy of keeping players who had a year left on their contract probably isn't going to work now. And now we've got three days to find a solution. Uh, for the rest of the season, I uh, think Pete, yeah. uh, I read your Kraken yes.
1: post on the subway to um, to record the pod today. Uh, tell us a little bit about the reactions to that post. Does it feel like previously or or is the mood changing in the fan base?
2: I would say that this is the first time I've written a post about a shocking August game. Where the fans are, are almost in complete and total agreement. Like, there's no factions now, there's no divide. Everybody knows that Arsene Wenger has to go. Everybody knows that this season is going to be shocking, apart from Stan Kroenke. So, it's been a, it, like, for, for the first time ever, like, the, the, the Wild West views of Le Grove seem to be accepted as as the truth now and uh you know this has been 10 years in the making but s- sad to see however before we get into a very structured measured uh, and clinical post uh, not post today uh podcast um i think we should bring a little bit of joy uh to proceedings so um so matt podcast number 23 what do you have for us
0: Well, you know, the number 23, I mean, if you look at basketball, it's typically been a shirt worn by the most illustrious of players, Michael Jordans. Uh, We're not quite at that level at Arsenal. We've had three number 23s. We've had one who is in the Michael Jordan standard of Arsenal player, in my opinion, and that was a... uh, big central defender who moved across the North London divide and became an invincible, Sol Campbell. He is surely worthy of that. Do you remember those days? Do you remember? I still, people talk about where they were when JFK was assassinated. I remember where I was when Sol Campbell signed for Arsenal. I was on Chiswick High Road. Driving my mum. Completely Um, out of the blue.
2: It was completely out of the blue as well. In the days where you could keep a transfer secret,
0: yeah, it was on like Capital Radio. I heard it on the news. It's fantastic. Uh,
2: yeah, brilliant. One, times. one of the
0: best bits of news anyone could ever hear. Uh, another twenty-three, who seemed for a while as if he could uh, elevate himself into superstar status, uh, our little uh, Russian Andrei Asharvin. Oh, I miss him. I miss his good games. Yeah, you don't, you don't, miss, you don't, miss, you don't miss the shit ones. Uh, but that, those, uh, oh, well, I mean, it seems sort of fitting that we're talking about our Charvin and his four-goal salvo the day after shipping four goals uh, against Liverpool. We could have done with him yesterday. It would have been a four-all draw. I don't
2: care who goes against me here. Still would say one of the most talented players I've ever seen at Arsenal when he was on form. Yeah. Like he, he, he had it all. Even when he was playing badly, he was scoring goals and setting up assists. He was just, he wasn't built for the wing.
0: No, no.
2: Or, or any sort of physical responsibility.
0: <laughs> uh, and then finally, someone who was built for physical responsibility, who should be an awesome number 23, but unfortunately is just the kind of guy you'd like to date your sister. Uh, Danny Welbeck.
1: Oh, Danny. That's such boring. a great smile.
2: What a smile! Yeah. What a
0: smile! But you know, yesterday sort of summed him up. Sort of in that first half, he managed to uh, yeah. escape for defenders through actually through pretty much one on one versus the goalkeeper and sort of shanked a shot over the bar. That that was Thierry Henry. That's bottom right corner. It's one all. It's game on. Uh, but it's not. It's not Thierry Henry. It's Danny Welbeck. Well, that's. Um...
2: That's as fun and light-hearted as it's going to get today, guys. So, um, without further ado, let's move on to the second part of the pod.
0: So, let's go back in time, uh, pre-apocalypse, uh, pre-game, uh, to when we first saw that lineup. Uh, I wonder if that lineup will actually become famous as you know the, the moment that Arsene Wenger's uh, Arsenal sort of ended. Um, but you know, after everything that happened at Stoke we sort of expected some sort of uh, reversion to uh, players playing in the positions uh, that they're supposed to. And Alfred, you said last week, the one thing that we got out of the Stoke game was that Bellerin wouldn't play at left-back again. What was your reaction when you saw him at left-back again yesterday? I mean, I think,
1: Pete, uh, you, um, you rightfully pointed out that it would be a very Wenger thing to do to try it again. And you were very, very correct. After the the, the game, I, um, I really liked Thierry Henry's comments that Arsenal is just too nice and it's a nice team. And it reminded me a little bit about Donald Trump and who he rewards and who he rewarded after the election in that you always hear him say, why do I love him? Because he was very nice to me. He was very nice to me. And this theory about people being nice to you is who you reward when you're under pressure, right? And if you looked on that lineup, I think that was all of, Ar- of Arsene's favorite players shoehorned into some sort of position because he trusts them. And Welbeck well on top was like the ultimate call there. Not Giroud, not Lacassette, he was just the nicest guy in the squad on top. And that squad was just like, you know, the nice guys. And he doesn't trust the new signings yet, so they were on the bench. And he is still punishing Theo uh, because I thought maybe they were going for pace, but they, they obviously weren't. And, yeah, what a nice lineup that was.
0: And isn't it strange, though, that we've signed, you know, we, we weren't very good last year. We've signed two players in a, a left wing, but best left back or wing back in the Bundesliga last year. Top scorer in France in Lacazette. We've got <laughs> our biggest game of the season so far. Three games in, no one's fatigued. And neither of them start. Was that a shock, Pete? That neither of them started. I think
2: it was. A, I think it was a really big shock. I mean, I, I, I sort of loosely could go along with the idea of uh, Danny Welbeck starting through the middle. Liverpool have been terrible from set pieces. They're struggling at centre back this year. Trying to sign Virgil Van Dijk, um, but. I, I, it still didn't quite make sense if you need a it, because he he's been terrible in front of goal, but at, like at least have Lacazette, somebody that's clinical um, in there that's going to cause Liverpool um, a, a problem that they don't quite understand yet. Um, Kalasenich not playing was really absurd to me because Monreal has struggled um, for pace for two seasons now. Liverpool are built for speed and impact, and having like a like a brutal left back. Uh, playing would have been uh, would have been beneficial yesterday, but I, th- I think the the bigger concern for me is uh, is Arsene Wenger on one hand uh, puts all of the blame of last season down to players not feeling secure that he wasn't signed into a new deal. So he admitted that the the instability of the club last year was because no one knew what he was going to do, and then he rolls into this season with six first team players out of contract. He plays Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, who told him three days prior to the game that he wanted to go and play for Chelsea face-to-face. He plays Sanchez, who we know has been feigning um, stomach injury uh, all summer uh, and wants to leave. And he plays Ozil, who completely disappeared uh, against Stoke. And the output was cancerous. So like, to, to, for, for Wenger to not understand... That if you play players that don't want to be there, they might not put in a good performance. Was almost as bad as leaving your two uh, new signings who've got everything to prove on the bench.
0: So I think you know we touched on it last week, which is are we a better team without Sanchez and Özil, built around a more hardworking structure, players who still want to play for Arsenal? And I think this lineup might have uh, began to help us answer that question. So if we were dissatisfied with the setup pre-game, let's uh, let's move on to the game itself.
1: I I I was looking at our performances against Liverpool last season when we we lost big time twice and I I wasn't feeling feeling well at all uh, when the whistle blew I also couldn't see what the plan was. It was really, really difficult to see what our idea of an attack was, what who, what defenders we were going to attack, where we were going to pressure, and what the whole idea was behind that lineup. And I couldn't see it. I could, however, see Liverpool's plan immediately. It was crystal clear, and the way that they were going to approach holding as the weakness in that back three was so evident with everyone drifting out left to um, to have a go at him, Pete, what what did you feel the plan was, and did, did you see any sort of ideas there?
2: I think that there were um, there were loose uh, loose grains of uh, uh, planning um, yesterday, but I, I would say if there was an overarching strategy. It was go to Liverpool and play them at their own game uh, and beat them with quality. I think it, it, it seemed that. There was no consideration of Liverpool's playing style um, in the way that we lined up. Like, like for me, Liverpool blast you in the first 25 minutes. They try and get an early goal uh, and they've been doing that since Brendan Rodgers. Uh, like that's, that's been their, their plan. They've got that front three um, loaded with pace. And I, I can't for the life of me work out after that Stoke game why Arsene and Steve Bowl didn't sit there and say, you know what? Let's like if we get a point away uh, Anfield, that would be that would be good. So what we'll do is we'll set up pragmatically. Um, we'll have a, a, a solid midfield sitting in front of uh, the, the the back three, or or we could have played um, a back four. We'll try and absorb their pressure, and then when they get tied in the second half, we'll bring on uh, Lacazette and we'll bring on Kalasanic and we'll try and nick a goal. Like we had no plan. Our plan was put the put the players out there and see what happened. And uh, sometimes that works out. But I, I think the the days of having players that didn't need to play with the structure uh, because they were so much better than everybody else and they could win a, a long gone. And um, and we suffered almost immediately. But the, I think the, the, the biggest, my, my biggest upset about it is you could see that it was going wrong after 10 minutes and he didn't make a change until 45 minutes. He just let it happen.
0: Matt, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that Peter said, really, because um, never did we ever s- think that we might get a foothold in the game. And for me, it's you have to look back. There's been one game over the last six months where we've played really well, and that was the FA Cup final. And that was because there was like a, a huge level of concentration and discipline and application, and uh, And guess what? When you have those things, you can win football matches against good teams. When you don't give away straight passes, when you snap into tackles. Um, And yesterday, it almost felt like there were a couple of different factions within the team. You had Alexis Sanchez sort of harrowing around trying to press people and chase the ball down. But there was almost something selfish about the way he was doing it, I thought, which was, and I don't blame him for it, but it was he was almost doing it to shine a light on all the people who weren't doing it. So we, we, we never pressed as a team. We sort of pressed as individuals, and then it gave, almost gave individuals the right to sort of look around at everyone else and go, what's wrong with you? were not you pressing and chasing everyone down? Uh, and I think that was the biggest thing that came out of it for me is that it was such a disjointed performance. It wasn't a, a team effort. it was lots of individuals who almost were had their own individual agendas that they were trying to pursue. So uh, you know the whole thing was slightly sickening, uh, as was all the sort of Instagram apologies. Uh, Afterwards, and it's just it's just that sense. We said it after the Stoke game. We said the Stoke game wasn't that bad. It was just so familiar, and you have to look at look upon it as uh, another game in like a whole journey of games like that. And the Liverpool capitulation was made all the more painful because we see it every single year. I think also this should have been the most predictable
1: top six fixture this year. And that's kind of the most worrying thing. Klopp is great against top 6 sides and he's really bad at the bottom 12. I think he has 9 wins, 9 draws and 1 loss against top 6 teams in the Premier League because he basically only knows how to play underdog football. He wants the opponent to have the ball so that they can nick it and they can score on a counter. That game plan is so easy. And if you had watched a single game that Liverpool played against the top six squad last year at home, that was the plan every time. And Mane scored, I think, almost in all of those games. And when you saw Mane do run against Holding, cut in and shoot, you were like, this is the easy game for Arsenal to actually plan out the, the hard ones are are the others. So that made me extremely worried um, against the other, the other fixtures we have coming up because this should be the tactically maybe the easiest game we have facing the top six. Pete, I, I know I, you also talked a little bit in your post uh, about our midfield. And that was, I think, one of the most interesting things about the game was seeing Ramsey basically being on top but some other comments were also that like is Salah actually this good or are we making him look this good and I think Salah could be that good but the fact that we made Jordan Henderson look like one of the world's best midfielders uh playing against jacka and-, and Ramsey I thought was fascinating um what are your thoughts on the on the midfield setup as you mentioned earlier I you
2: know I, I was thinking um and I think in terms of Twitter, because it's where all the, the, the interesting football chat goes on, but uh, all of the hipster favourites, the you know kind of normal fans that go week in, week out and have to watch these players um, play, but uh, all of the hipster players are, are kind of being found out big time, but the favourites, like Aaron Ramsey, spent most of the game trying to play like a striker, like he always does. He might have some great statistics and he might look good on a, on a spreadsheet, but he never delivers and he always plays like he's trying to, uh, earn himself a move to Barcelona to be um, to be over there with uh, with Gareth Bale. Um Jaka, he might sometimes have a 100% pass completion rate, but he always, always makes a stupid mistake. That's giving the ball away in a, in a bad position, or that's picking up a red card, or it's just not being physically ready for the Premier League. And sure, there are things that we can do for Jaka to make his job a bit easier. But Jordan Henderson made up five yards... To get in on a on a parried shot from Pet Cech yesterday. That was atrocious. The ball that Jacka gave away um, for the first goal was atrocious. The back heel that he attempted five yards from his <laughs> goalkeeper was atrocious. Meza Erzl, another one. Look, the guy might have made, he's made 30 more passes in the final third um. Of of the box, uh, uh, in the final third, than any other player in the Premier League this season. But it doesn't matter if he's got no interest in contributing to the team. Like he's he's the quarterback that we were talking about. He has nothing else to offer apart from those beautiful passes. And it all came like all of that came home to roost yesterday. That we have a bunch of hipster players that, when put in the real world of competitive football, um, can't compete. Uh, and I think that it's time to look at uh, some of those players and say, look, is Jacka is Premier League ready? Is Aaron Ramsey ever going to hit the next level? Is the next level? Is the next level? Is Meza Erzl good enough to have a, a starting place in a team that's struggling? I think they're all um, all important questions. But I think that the key thing here is that that midfield is not built for anything outside, like inside the top four this year.
1: Would the, would the midfield be better with a different formation?
2: I think it would be much better with a manager that forced accountability on players. I think if Jacker uh, is playing under Pep Guardiola or Mourinho, uh, he would never, ever attempt that back heel uh, I, I think that if uh, Ozil was playing under Mourinho, he'd be dropped for a month. And he'd be called a coward in the dressing room and someone would throw a football boot um, at him. If Chamberlain played the way that he did yesterday under any of the elite managers, he'd be sold and he'd be sold to Stoke or somewhere like that no chance that he'd be going to, uh, to Chelsea he'd just be shifted out the back door um, so I think a different formation um, for, like, that takes into account the skill set of players would be great but I also think like just having a different culture at the club where that sort of performance isn't acceptable That we have a manager that lambasts the players in public and, um, and really we need a fan base that's going to make it difficult for those players this year who, who don't want to put the effort in because that was an absolute disgrace and I felt terrible for the away fans yesterday
1: I love the picture of the of the whole bench uh, that someone caught in the middle. Uh, it really looked like a, a group of of lads on the plane back from a stag do that all had some sort of dark secret that they they hope would never get out. Uh, it feels like we're not let in on something, like because they all seem like they knew what was wrong and. I mean, Theo Walcott not even watching the game, I think, was like the most obvious and telling sign that there is no
0: sense of community there. There is no there's no team left. Yeah, I mean, I think if you've ever worked at a company or a business that isn't doing particularly well, uh, you know what happens to the culture in that place. And basically what, what, what typically happens is it feels like everyone is trying to jump ship. Everyone is, you know, perched around the water cooler, getting a coffee, talking about how they're interviewing other companies or trying to get another job. And I think it's exactly what's happening at Arsenal at the moment. And I think behind the scenes, there's a load of players going, yeah, you know, let's hope we're all out of here by Thursday. And uh, yeah, it's a joke what's happening. The the management don't have any idea what's going on. And you just get the sense that that is what is happening at at, uh, Arsenal. Uh, at Arsenal and having worked at a company in in the past that wasn't doing very well you look when new people come in and you and you and you almost laugh at them and you go I can't believe they've just got here like they they don't understand how shit it is and I, I just you just get the sense that that's what it's like at Arsenal uh, you know uh Kolasinic and uh, Lacazette had to come because Atletico weren't involved and the Premier League has got so much money But there really is the sense of you must have been mad to come here because this club is not going anywhere at the moment.
2: So I think we're heading into the final section here. And I think there there are two parts that that I'd like to explore. Um, Firstly, what do we think is going to happen over the next uh, week? And then what do we think should happen? So let's start with what we think uh, will happen because we've been here before, guys. I think the last time... We were in a situation this desperate. Uh, we just come off the back of uh, an 8-2 loss to Manchester United. Uh, it was one of the worst games uh, under Arsene Vegas tenure. And it, it, he went from, it's it's difficult to buy players. It's not like buying a loaf of bread in Tesco's. To, I bought 15 loaves of bread and they're all terrible. Uh, we bought uh, Andre Santos. Um, we bought uh, Per Mertesacker, Park Chu Young. Uh, who else did we buy in that Ateta. window? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best of windows. Like Arteta and matasaka aside, um, it, it wasn't a great panic buying session. Don't, so don't forget, what,
1: don't forget Kim Kjellstrom here. Okay,
2: Kim Kjellstrom, yes. Um, so we're heading into um, we're heading into a, like a very important next few days. Uh, we haven't been able to sell any of the Deadwood this summer for uh, for plenty of reasons, uh, like quality and the expense of the quality. Uh, that we're trying to, to jettison. But uh, we also haven't been able to buy players. We we were always more than two players away from competing again this year, and it's become abundantly clear that there are players that are contract rebels that we're going to have to get rid of, and we're going to have to sign in some names. So, uh, Alfred, what do you what do you think needs to happen over the next few days to rescue this season?
1: What needs to happen is an incredibly difficult question. There is something around like, you know, as, as I talked about last week, I just like this, it needs to burn so that we can kind of rise from the ashes. But just how, I don't really know. I mean, it's now looking more and more likely that we are going to ship Alexis, Oxlade, and Mustafi, which arguably at points last season was the three best players. And that is an incredible regression. It's just beyond words what kind of structure will have after that and the fact that we are not talking about i mean selling the players we wanted to sell but we are now actually running the risk of especially with our performance losing some of our best staff is it's insane it's absolutely insane and who we who we're going to get i mean it looks like lemar might actually go to liverpool so i mean are we in for van dyke maybe is is that what we needed the most going into the season? I'm not sure. I think we said at a pod a couple of months ago, if we could sell one player at the club to make it better, who would it be? I said Aaron Ramsey because he is making Arsenal believe that we don't need someone to replace Casola and that Ramsey is keeping us from a world-class centre midfielder who can run box from box and be creative and break the lines. And I think that's where, where we've ended up and where our biggest problem is, is in the middle of, of the, the field. And Ramsey is not the solution there. I think he's going to have Arsene's you know, trust the whole season. I think he's invested too much in Jacker now for, for that to change as well. So we are looking at an atrocious midfield at the moment with no cohesion whatsoever. And with the person who's supposed to be covering for the back Back three or, or back four being, I mean, yeah, he just makes mistakes after mistakes. So I hope and I think to your question, what we should do, it should be to to get someone in the middle of the park, like Seri, for example.
2: Matt, I what think, um, what, Matt, I what think do you what it, we, do you think we should do with the contract
0: rebels? Um, the contract rebel. I mean, it's really unfortunate because um, I think we thought we were in a slightly different place than we actually are in that Arsene Wenger decided to put everything on red and say, let's try and win the league this season. We haven't got Champions League. We'll keep our players and we'll try and convince them that uh, we can challenge again. And that has proven to, to not be correct. People really want to get out of Arsenal. There's no chance of having a successful season. And we now run the risk of leaving 100 million on the table. So unfortunately, I think we have to look at how circumstances have actually changed and we have to change our strategy in line with that. So for me, the best thing that we can do now, which it sort of pains me to say it, is to sell as many of the contract rebels as we can. We have to. We have to get the money because otherwise it's clear that we're not going to get any value from them playing on the pitch this season. So we need to sell in the next three days Alexis, uh, Ox. I don't think anyone's even interested in Nerzil, but if we could sell him, we should sell him. Get the money banks, and we need to start building Arsenal from the ground up again. So if we could get Lamar, that would be amazing, because at least we would have replaced one of the players with no contract with a player who would actually have some sell-on value. Um, But that has to be the strategy now, because uh, there's not going to be any value coming from those players on the pitch. And that's just you know us talking about the um, the playing staff. I mean, I, I, I don't know whether we want to touch on it now, but you know, if we if we could have a, have a moment where the board actually decided to bring in uh, a new manager this season and treat it as a transition season, even working with just the current staff as they are and saying you're not going to have any transfer funds till next summer, I still think that would be a step in the right direction. There is that element of, like, I think we are now at a point
1: where all of us are saying, actually, let Alexis go. We can't ruin his prime. Uh, We're also saying, why would Lamar come to us? There is nothing attractive about Arsenal Football Club for a young player like him. We need to do something right now to show the world that we have acknowledged that we have crashed. I think you pointed out, let's get Tuchel in, because we need to show them that, like, no... We still finished, you know, second a season ago and we have it in us and we are going to really do something to change. And we are going to keep some incredible players and do one more signing. But I, I really do think that we need to do something in the managerial position now to not become a top eight club even. Because right now I can't see us making top six.
2: And there's there are plenty exa- there are plenty of examples of managers that have come in and uh, and turned situations around. Um, I, I think a prime example would would even be Leicester City last year. They looked dead. They looked uh, dead certs for going down. They sacked Ranieri uh, and installed at uh, Shakespeare. And the difference in the way that the team played changed in in, in one game, and then they fought and survived. Uh, survived the season. And if you go back in history to 1996, uh, Arsene Wenger came in uh, partway through the season uh, and and took over. Uh, so I don't think it's beyond... Um, it, it's only beyond the pale to consider that Arsenal would make a change this early because it's Arsenal. And I think uh, like Thomas De Gea is... A really interesting proposition. Uh, like, I think he had some problems behind the scenes last year with managing um, the board's expectations, uh, and like he had some relationship issues with players. But you know, Dortmund uh, last season were an absolute joy to watch. Um, they still made the Champions League. They still won um, a trophy, and there was a very there was a philosophy there. And I think that this is the problem with Arsenal at the moment. There's no clear philosophy about you know what we stand for. like What are these values um, that Arsenal has? Because from where I'm sitting, it's certainly they're, not, they're certainly not sporting values. And I think this is what is making Arsenal such an unattractive proposition. There's no accountability um, to anybody um, within the club at Arsenal. And I think if you are playing for a manager that you know is going to be there um, regardless of performance, regardless of results, regardless of how bad he manages a summer... Very difficult to get behind it, and I think that that's why uh, you know Arsenal fans uh, convinced themselves last year that Özil and Sanchez weren't going to sign on with new deals uh, because they were unsure of what Arsène Wenger was going to do. I think that what's come out of that is, yeah, sure, they weren't going to sign deals until they knew what Arsène was going to do, and he signed a new deal, and now they want to leave. Uh, and that's that's six first team players that won't sign contracts and then you're and then you and then it then it's like leaking out onto the pitch like it's absolutely cancerous um what's happening um, with that squad and the left it he's left it so late um, in the window now that the, the board should say, no, That you are, you stick with what you've got now. We're not going to make any last-minute uh, signings. We're going to try and sell the dross. And if you're going to stay, you're going to deal with the consequences of a badly planned summer. Because the worst thing that we could do is let Arsene Wenger keep that cash, uh, like send that cash into the bin. And the, the second worst thing we could do is let him go and spend £150 million uh, on players that he's only just thought about. Uh, because then the next manager that's going to come in is going to have to deal with a bloated wage bill, uh, a, a low transfer uh, budget pot, and like worst of all, uh, a batch of incredibly average players. Because all our best players are going to leave um, next summer, and we haven't even thought about the players that are in the last year of their deal next year. So um, I, I would if I, I think the best decision to make strategically would be to fire Wenger. But if we don't have the guts to do that. We should not let him spend a single penny more and we should get rid of the contract rebels right now.
0: Okay, so lots of interesting conversation about what should happen this week. So just to summarise, let's just say, uh, let's pick the manager and the players you think we should hire and buy if we were going to do so this week. Alfred, manager and players to buy.
1: I think we should get, Thomas Tuchel, and I need to I need to understand how to pronounce his name because I realize I have pretty much only ever read it, but Tuchel. Uh because his attitude. He he obviously had attitude problems at Dortmund, and that's exactly what we need at this moment. We need to get someone in there who is as fierce and furious as the Klopp, but without the charisma. So that's who I would get from a manager point of view. I think, again a Seri or someone in the middle of the pitch that we could that we could go for. Why not do a, a hundred million euro bid for Vidal, for example, and try to get him from Bayern? He's he's getting to the end. He would play perfectly with Sanchez. He would get Sanchez to stay and he could really revolutionise the team.
2: Pete uh, well, Alfred's gone from my number one target of, of a manager. I think like Tuchel. Uh, I think Pep Guardiola said the two most exciting managers in the world were Tuchel and Conte. Uh, Conte just won the Premier League. Tuchel had a a, a bad season uh, from a maturity standpoint, not being able to deal with the board. But like he will be keen to come back and prove his worth, and I think he's the genius uh, that the Arsenal need. But if he's not available, uh, Laurent Blanc. Did a sterling job um, at PSG for a number of years. Experienced head, um, like quite a bit younger um, than than the current manager that we have. And then I think on the player front, um, I would be using uh, the the players that we're trying to sell right now as as bargaining chips. I would, if Alexis Sanchez is attracting the interest of Paris Saint-Germain, we should be asking them about Rabia. We should be asking them about—I um, think he's pronounced it Kiericek, um the the, the Polish uh, defensive midfielder. We should be looking at anybody that they've got that might be surplus to requirements to inject a bit of excitement our end. Like we're getting rid of our best player, but maybe we're getting too. Um, in return, I know that Monaco um, were trying to do that as part of the Mbappe deal, um, but we need uh, we need a, a, a top quality centre half, and I, I'm completely agree with Alfred. Like we need um, a midfielder um, it, like, that can replace the skills of Santi Gazzola, who won't be about this season. Uh, Seri looks a very exciting talent. Like them, that like I, I feel like if Europe is overproducing anything, it's small technically gifted midfielders. Um, that can run the show. So like, we need to we need to to, to bring uh, to, to bolster um, where we're lacking. But definitely, we need uh, a new manager and a new philosophy.
0: And from my side, I think we have. There's, there's only one man for me to come in as manager, and that is Thierry Henry. I think we've got nothing to lose. Ooh, nothing, ooh,
1: to, nothing controversial. To
0: lose. We've seen Zidane come in and do it at Real Madrid. We heard. Thierry Henry yesterday talking about Arsenal having lost their way and being unwatchable. Who better? Someone who knows the spirit of the club, someone who's a legend, someone who will unite the fan base, someone who young players want to play for, someone with it all to prove. And we could say to him, come in. You don't have any transfer monies. Show us this. You you can come into the end of the season and earn yourself a contract and prove yourself to be an Arsenal managing legend as well as a playing legend. So thank you, Pete and Matt. I think this has been quite cathartic
1: for me. And um, it was a little bit kind of upbeat and positive, not as depressing I thought that it was going to be. Pete, you seem a little bit fired up, I feel.
2: I, I, think, I think what's becoming uh, very clear is Arsene Wenger is not going to last the two years of his deal. He can't he's uh, and and i think that that realization is getting me through this like it, it, before when he was making top 4 and he was making you know big bucks for for stan Kroenke, it made sense but uh, the way it's going at the moment uh, like the, the wage bill is over the top he's losing like Expensive assets uh, on free transfers, players that want to play for him, and on the pitch is an absolute abomination. So I, I'm I'm hoping that this is the last year. I don't see him lasting past next summer. Um, and like the results like tomorrow are going to be part parcel of this season. So although it's going to be horrible, if if there if there feels like there's going to be an end goal at the back end of it, um, then you know like we we'll just have to deal with it. But just hope it doesn't get too bad,
0: Matt. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I think this is actually going to be a massive week for Arsenal, and I know we've said that before, and nothing, (laughs) nothing normally changes. But it feels like things will change in terms of uh, playing personnel. I think uh, our lineup for this season is going to look very different after this week, especially if we lose two players uh, who have been, you know, uh, uh, regular names on the first first team team sheet. Um, Knowing Arsene Wenger and his spirit of self-preservation, he will bring players in if he loses them, because he'll know that he sort of has to to secure his own position. So it promises to be a very, very interesting week ahead of us. And
1: I have to say that I'm quite excited, because I think we have finally seen the end of the project Hector on the left. So without any further ado, thank you, Pete. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Matt. Thanks,
0: guys. Ciao.
1: Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1 800flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.